I don't know how many of you are on Twitter, whether you tweet or not, if you at least follow it. I have way too much free time on my hands, so I'm on it constantly. As you might know, the bishops met this past week. Uh, they meet twice a year. So they're all getting together, and obviously a lot of things on their plate this year. But one of the things they tweeted out was a question, and the question was this. It was directed towards young Catholics, however you want to define that. And the question was simply, if you're a young Catholic and you haven't left the church, why have you stayed? If you're a young Catholic and you haven't left the church, why have you stayed? Now, every time you put a question out, you know, on the internet, you're asking for all comers, and they definitely got a lot of not-so-nice replies. But the number one question, number one answer, what do you think it was? You're a young Catholic. Why have you stayed in the church? It wasn't homilies. It wasn't music. It wasn't the Latin mass. It wasn't the guitar mass. It wasn't famous theologians, wonderful saints. I mean, all that stuff turned up. But the number one answer that young Catholics who haven't left the faith gave for why they stayed was the Eucharist. That was it, the Eucharist. And for a lot of them, they cited Eucharistic adoration. You may or may not be aware that's a growing, it's growing in popularity as a way to pray. But even if it wasn't Eucharistic adoration, it was just the Eucharist. And for those who put in some little discussion, it was a sense of, you know, people can fail me at times. Teachings can fail me if they're not presented well. But there's something here that I can hold on to. There's something that's true. But why? why? Why should it be the Eucharist? I mean, the Eucharist doesn't speak, it doesn't sing, it doesn't wow you with its beauty externally. Why do they have confidence in this sacrament that says, I'm going to stay here? Even if I'm ticked off about this behavior, I don't understand that teaching, or blah, 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 why, why that? Famous gospel, right? Lots of versions of it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of these multiplication miracles. So we know the story. There they are with Jesus. Huge, hungry crowd comes to him. And how does it play out? Well, it's always the disciples who notice, you know, as if Jesus was included into the 5,000 hungry people in front of him. Hey, Jesus, you know, these people are here. They're hungry. And what do they do? They appeal to Jesus' authority. They don't know he's going to do a miracle. They've seen him do miracles up to now, but he has authority. People listen to him. And they're not sure what to do, so they go to Jesus. Jesus, send them away. You can handle this. I would argue, at least for me, you don't have to agree with me, but the hinge point of that whole gospel is not the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. It's when he looks them in the eye and says, you give them something. Because he doesn't say it with bravado. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's just an extraordinarily confident statement. He looks them in the eye and very calmly but firmly says, yeah, I know all these people are here. They're very hungry. It's late. So you give them something to eat. And of course, they're not ready for it. They can't have the same confidence in themselves that he has in them. And what's their immediate response? More or less, I'll paraphrase, but Jesus, are you crazy? We, you know, we don't have food here. 
what can, we can't do anything. And then Jesus moves on and there's the miracle and, and all of that. But I really mean it when I say, I think the most critical point in that exchange is when Jesus looks at them with all seriousness. And I really don't think he's saying, you know, you have my power, you can multiply the loaves and the fish. I would have loved if the disciples at that moment had said, yeah, that's right, you know, we can do something here. And then what would they have done? What would they have said? How would they have interacted with the crowd? Because the point is, we're there at now in the story. We couldn't have expected them really to do anything different. Any one of us, I think, would have responded the same way. Because they're on their side of the resurrection, as you've heard me say so many times. They couldn't have known who Jesus was. And more importantly, they couldn't have known what he had really given them. But we have no such excuse. Do we have the same confidence in the Eucharist that the Eucharist has in us? It's not just a piece of bread, we know that but it's not just a transubstantiated piece of bread. It's about a relationship. And I really think whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, and you haven't left the faith, it's a pretty beautiful summer night, so maybe some of you were dragged here, but by and large, we're here because we want to be. We know that at the heart of all of this is a relationship. And the only way you gain confidence in a relationship is by sticking to it and by taking baby steps deeper and deeper into it and feeling free enough to voice confusion or anger when it's there, as well as gratitude and joy when it's there. If we want to know what this looks like, all we have to do is look at the second reading tonight, beautifully proclaimed, because there we see Paul. Paul never saw a miracle of Jesus. He doesn't come on the scene until Jesus of Nazareth, the man, is gone. And yet he has confidence because of the confidence that the risen Jesus Christ has in him. And that's the same Jesus you and I have known all our lives. And he wasn't always Paul. I mean, yes, you could say, well, he was spoken to by Jesus, but Jesus didn't say a whole lot to give him confidence when he heard those words. All he really got was, don't persecute me. The confidence to say, I'm going to pick myself up and I want to go and share this message is because he somehow knew he was in relationship with this God, but that's only going to happen by staying in the relationship. We know that in our human friendships, in our marriages, with our siblings, our parents, our children. What would it mean to say, all right, I want to have as much confidence in you, Lord, as you have in me? What does it mean when, no, most of us won't have the power to commit physical miracles? But does it really mean that we don't have something to give ourselves? Most of us here won't heal the terrible illness that maybe someone we love is dealing with. But does it really mean we have nothing to offer? Is the love of God, is the love of our hearts a consolation prize? Well, I can't do a miracle, but I guess I can just be here and love you. That's everything at the end of the day. And sometimes it's so familiar that it isn't something we actually live out with that kind of confidence. If you're like me, I know what it feels like to be on my knees saying, please, God, please, Jesus, can you just do something here to help me? And we all know that that doesn't lead to things just 
miraculously changing. And I can almost imagine, you know, if I listen clearly enough, Jesus saying to me on my knees, get up and take care of it yourself. No, you can't change the external physical world. But at the end of the day, that's not the thing that's really crying out for healing. And so what would it mean if we had as much confidence in the Eucharist as the Eucharist has in us? So just an encouragement on this feast of the body and blood of Christ. I sometimes think of it as the feast of get up off your butt and try it. Don't quote me on that. But maybe just as a spiritual exercise, is there somebody in your life that maybe you felt nudged to engage, to say something that you felt would be healing, but maybe you felt a little shy or self-conscious or embarrassed? You thought, gosh, with all their suffering, they don't just want to listen to me. Or maybe there's something where you've lacked some confidence and you really feel like there's a decision you need to make about your future, about your marriage, about your career, about something going on in school, and you've got that little nudging voice, but the confidence just isn't quite there. We just had a wedding here in St. Joe's. When the bride and groom exchange vows, they don't say, I'm doing this for life because they have a crystal ball and they can see the future. All their confidence can be based on is the experience that they've shared up to that moment. However much confidence you have, in your faith can only be based on what you've lived to this moment. And so what a beautiful encouragement to just take another step. This week, by lunch on Tuesday, can we say I've taken just a little bit of a baby step in the direction towards which that dawning confidence in my heart is encouraging me to go. I really and truly believe it that Jesus meant it in all sincerity, when in the face of all this need in front of them, he calmly and confidently looked the disciples in the eye and said, you take care of this. You have it in you. I've been with you. I've given you what you need. Feed them yourself. And he's saying the same thing, I think, to every one of us.